Welcome to the View from the Front podcast, a show about military and defense news designed for serious people who love their country more than they love their political party. It's a show for moderates who are tired of their news being from the left or the right or being over the top and scary. I fully understand how frustrated most Americans feel at how divided we are. And I am the very opposite of most news organizations, who often write articles that are too alarming. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, a twice-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both his country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. If you were to ask anyone who lived in Oak Ridge during the nine years that I owned that weekly newspaper, they would tell you that I sought to downplay controversy, I worked hard to understate headlines, and I did my absolute best to never create panic which is a terrible way to sell newspapers, but a responsible way for a media outlet to act. I plan to do these same things with my podcast. I love the news, and we need the news, but we need to have news that's less over the top. News that folks don't dread to hear because it's too scary, and news that isn't so blown out of proportion and fear-based that it was clearly written to be shared and scare the devil out of people. The news shouldn't be a game intended to grab eyeballs and monetize dollars. It's an absolute fact that our democracy doesn't work if we don't have informed voters. And since we're talking about the news and informed voters, let me say this. I'm convinced that foreign policy decisions are the most important decisions that we face as a country. They lead to greater consequences on the world stage, and they can lead to tragic deaths, either because we shouldn't have intervened somewhere, or perhaps because we should have. America is the world's leading power, and we mostly lead the world from a position of moral authority showing other countries how they should behave in regards to ethics, restraint, and providing freedom for their citizens. Foreign policy decisions can be tragic and heartbreaking, and it's important that we get them right. It's also crucial that when we get them wrong, such as when we did in the Vietnam War, then the faster we can course correct, the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us, and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians seeking their own personal gain try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. I will also not remain silent when we have media organizations doing great harm to our country by scaring people or creating panic. We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So, let's get a little better informed, 
and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about before they listen too long. And I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in, that it affects what they believe, that it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience on this intro. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool intro that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid, to something we can build a foundation from, and that's what I'm offering. And with that, let's get started. This is the September 13th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. And oh my goodness, have I been dying to record this pretty much since about the last episode ended. And why is that? That is because obviously... As you've seen in the news, Ukraine has launched a serious offensive that has taken back just a ton of land. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But before I get to that, I want to say that, you know, guys like J.D. Vance, who's running for Senate in Ohio, people like him, there have been a few who, like him, have said they you know, could care less about what happened in Ukraine. But let me tell you something. There have been a lot of people like me who could care a ton I have literally lost sleep since February. I have worried about Ukraine. I have kept them in my thoughts and prayers. And, you know, there may be people who don't care what happens to them, but I don't know how you can see a country invaded by a much larger opponent for no reason and see the atrocities and everything that I've described for literally months and not care. But apparently there are a few people who don't care But I assure you, I am one of them who has cared, and the last few days have been just huge for, um, certainly for the Ukrainians, but it's been a weight off the shoulders of a lot of Americans as well who've also worried about them, and um, so it's unbelievably good news, and I cannot wait to get into it, and we're just going to go ahead and start right into it, because there's really nothing that comes close to the size of the news of what's happening in Ukraine. So, how did we get here? I'm glad you asked. As I had said in the Friday episode, fighting was already happened in the southern part of the country, in Kherson, also on the eastern part, in the Donbass region. And since Friday, Ukrainian forces sliced through Russian defenses in the Donbass region. As a reminder, that's the eastern part of the country, where there's been huge artillery bombardments, and it's almost been like World War One fighting with... Lots of troops and trenches, and uh, it's just been ugly fighting, nasty fighting. And the Ukrainian forces punched through the Russian defenses. And as they did, they threatened to encircle a uh, city called Izium. And it's a large city. The Russians, who feared being encircled, immediately began withdrawing. And of course, myself and everyone who's been following this since it happened, it's, it's almost been like, watching, you know, a um, some kind of exciting football game on TV because there hasn't been a lot happening as far as, you know, large advances or defensive efforts. And suddenly, 
once they broke through, it's been very hard not to, you know, almost live and breathe. It's uh, been hard not to just follow every move of this. But the Ukrainians punched through. They started to encircle Izium, and at that point, the Russians began withdrawing to avoid getting encircled and potentially losing thousands of troops. And from there, it, it got even uglier as the Russians began to panic. And as they panicked, they began abandoning equipment and literally fleeing. There were some stories of Russian officers trying to start them, stop them and Ukrainian troops threatening to kill their officers. Maybe in some cases they did. They've abandoned equipment. And as this panic has kind of grown, it has just spread throughout the Russian army. And so as I'm recording this on at least this section I'm recording on Monday night, the Ukrainian forces have gone far beyond Izium, and they are deep, very deep in Russian territory. So how deep are they? I'm glad you asked that as well. As of this moment, at 10.45 on Monday night, Ukraine has retaken 6,000 square kilometers of land, according to President Zelensky. That is 2,400 square miles, if we're, you know, taking that kilometers and transferring it to something that Americans can understand. So the Ukrainians have now seized 2,400 square miles of Russian-held territory, all of which, by the way, was Ukrainian land to begin with. All of which, by the way, is land where Ukrainian citizens have been absolutely brutalized. Many of them have been staying indoors and terrible atrocities have been happening to women. There have been people loaded on buses and trains and shipped into Russia, some as far away as Siberia. So these uh, folks who are being liberated, and you can see unbelievable, absolutely like heartbreaking videos of these um, rescued Ukrainians welcoming Ukrainian fighters as liberators with tears of joy. It's, it's almost... It's almost too much to watch, but Ukraine has now taken 2,400 square miles, spared these folks who so far are still alive, and I say it that way because as the, as the Russians have left and realized that militarily they cannot defeat the Ukrainian army, they have, like all bullies, attacked civilians. They have been firing rockets and long-range missiles into public uh, infrastructure, um, knocking out water, lights, power. Um, they're acting like bullies, like the bullies they are, and they are not uh, tough enough to fight the Ukrainian military, so they are once again brutalizing civilian infrastructure and civilians. But it is amazing news that Ukraine has pulled this off, I am beyond ecstatic for him. I try to, I guess in theory I should be unbiased, but this is just simply a topic that I can't be, un, I just can't be unbiased. I'm not even going to try. So, huge news for Ukraine. I'm happy for them. I am happy for the hundreds and thousands of, of rescued Ukrainian civilians who now are once again inside U Ukrainian territory and under Ukrainian control. You can see their happiness. And I'll try to get off of the emotional high I am, I'm on, that I'm on from, um, you know, from that news. And let's get to some of the str uh, strategic realities. 
that this huge, and I mean huge, military victory has uh, created. I wanted to share a military analyst, and uh, he, he does some political analysis as well, but Ian Bremmer shared on, on, on Twitter that, if you recall, the sinking of Russia's Black Sea flagship was embarrassing for Putin, but had no strategic importance. That's what he said. But he said that Russians' military withdrawal is a major loss on the battlefield and threatens to turn the tide of the war. That is, it's, it's kind of like overly obvious, but at the same time, it's, you really have to think about the, the strategic implications. And there are so many videos and photos online. The Russians are abandoning tanks and um, armored personnel carriers. They are leaving just massive stockpiles of artillery shells and ammunition that they have just abandoned as they have fled. Some have literally thrown down their rifles. So this is just huge for Ukraine. It's incredibly embarrassing for Russia's President Putin, but there's not a lot he can do at this point. Along those same lines, um, as we've seen the, the Russian army flee, uh, I wanted to share a quote that was in the New York Times from another military expert who stated that the collapse of the Russian troops... Um, starts to create a psychological collapse and that it often has a cascading effect and that that's something that's very difficult to recover from. And again, that's what we've seen. What started as a, you know, basically a, a thrust through the lines, a potential encirclement of Izium, as the, as the panic spread, the Russians went from withdrawing to absolute sheer panic, leave weapons, leave your tanks, leave all that ammo laying over there, leave that stockpile of artillery shells, just go. And so the speed of that panic has spread. Of course, if you're Russia, you can't possibly admit that anything bad has happened. And so I wanted to quote a part of a Washington Post story that I have linked in the source notes. And um, the Russian military released a statement that said, In order to achieve the goals of the special military operation, a decision was made to regroup troops in the area of, it says, Balakalia and Izium in order to build up efforts in the Donetsk re direction. And the funny thing is, so they released this. They've, of course, lost Izium since releasing the statement. But it's hilarious that... Um, Instead of just admitting what happened, they're, uh, they're saying that basically they're going to regroup and um, withdraw to basically attack somewhere else, which uh, obviously isn't the case. And they also claimed that a powerful uh, fire was inflicted on the enemy using aviation, missile troops, and artillery as they withdrew. Of course, um, very little of that, if any of that, is true. So, that's the Russian line on this story. Now, as this disaster has spread, uh, you can see clips of Russian media with uh, commentators saying that Putin has been misled about, you know, some have blamed the generals, some have blamed the intelligence services, but you can see just the Russian media cannot figure out how to sell this. They can't possibly understand how Russia has somehow been 
you know, whoop to like this. There's really no other word for it. And so the pressure is beginning to build on uh, Putin himself. And in fact, there was a, uh, a story in, um, well, it's in several places, but um, there are star starting to become some uh, news out of Russia that Kremlin officials are beginning to basically start a mutiny against Vladimir Putin. Almost everyone was following this through the weekend, and it had, initially it looked like they were going to try to lock down the capital, they being, I guess, Putin and his loyal folks. They used, you know, heavy garbage trucks to block roads. There was discussion that maybe there were military tanks and vehicles headed into Moscow to help reinforce and perhaps protect him. Then, apparently, Putin said that he was going to execute some of the leading generals who were involved in the fighting, Apparently that perhaps made some of them want to uh, decide that maybe getting executed and going back to Moscow is probably not in their best interest. So I think Putin panicked and then he changed his mind, decided he wasn't going to execute generals. And he suddenly was a little nervous about the military coming into Moscow, perhaps for good reason. And so that kind of all died down. Now there's been some reports that he's moved out to one of his dachas. So no one really knows exactly what's going on, but one thing that is for sure is that I don't think uh, Mr. Vladimir Putin is sleeping as well as he was, and uh, I think it's a pretty safe bet that there are a lot of generals and a lot of oligarchs in Russia trying to decide um, their future and which side of that future they may land. And uh, I think there are probably a lot of... Um, upper echelon leaders right now who aren't sure what's going to happen and who are probably, like I said, losing sleep and trying to decide on which side of the uh, ledger they want to push all of their chips because uh, when things go bad in a place like uh, Moscow, um, you know, power only transfers one way and it's not a peaceful transfer of power. And if you're on the losing side, you may not be seeing the next week when it's all said and done. Now there is a chance that all of this will get clamped down on. I wanted to share a little bit from Tom Nichols, who's obviously a Russian expert. He spent years there and he said people need to calm down for now anyway, that the quote Kremlin officials were just, you know, city councilors from one district in Moscow. And he said it would be like saying there's a White House rebellion if some people on Ward 7 committee in DC called on Biden to resign. And that's all a very fair point, and I would never, not even in a hundred years probably, try to disagree with him about anything. I'm certainly no expert on Russia. But I will say this. Let's all not forget that in February, literally just months ago, you couldn't even say that it was there was a war happening in, in Ukraine. You had to call it a special military operation. There were folks facing up to 10 years in jail for even saying there was a war. Russia has done its best to mostly ignore this, and so they've called it a special military operation. They've talked about, you know, cleansing and, and getting rid of Nazis, but they haven't called it a war. They certainly haven't talked about potential losses or, you know, some kind of a draw or some type of a peace deal, and suddenly all of these things are being discussed in the media, and there are people signing their names to paper to basically um, make harsh statements against Putin. So all I'm saying is, you know, I don't know when or if something's going to happen, 
but the water is boiling a lot more now than it was months and months ago. And so obviously Putin's going to crack down on this if he can, but you can only crack down on some of this stuff so much before, like I said, just like when he threatened to execute more generals, no one's going to voluntarily allow that to happen at some point. So I don't know how much more he can clamp down. Maybe the answer is a lot, and he'll still be in power five to ten years from now. But any videos you've seen of him, even before this, even just a week ago, his public appearances, he did not look like a confident man who was in charge. He looked like an angry, not very healthy person, and probably beset by paranoia. And I am confident it has gotten worse, especially... I'm going to put in the source notes about a five-minute clip of some, some of the media that was playing in Russia. And some of these commentators are throwing out, do we work out some kind of peace plan? Do we mobilize the military, bring in reserves, create, you know, go all out? Um, and then, of course, some people are saying that, like I said earlier, Putin was wrongly advised and someone should be punished. But the reality is, is they know that something bad has happened. So this is going to start getting out to the Russian people. And like I said, I think there's some people in Moscow not sleeping as well tonight. Now let's move away from that for just a moment. And let's talk about that nuclear plant that was obviously under control by Russia. I kind of went out on a limb a couple weeks ago and I said, you know, guys, I think that the Western media has been blowing this out of proportion. And I got to say that, um, I was a little nervous about doing that, and I had to think about it, but I just felt in my heart that it was being overplayed. I did the best research I could on it, and then I presented it as fairly as I could. And it looks like that in this case I was right, and I wanted to share a little bit about it that I think will make everyone feel even more better. It's certainly great news for Ukraine, and it's a huge, at least for the moment, it's a huge kind of load off of the weight of those who was wor who were worried that something really terrible and tragic might happen there. Here's some good news on that. We've talked a fair amount about the nuclear plant that is currently occupied by Russia and how international inspectors had gone there. And I wanted to share that um, I've got a link in the source notes, but Ukraine has uh, actually, the operators there have shut down that nuclear power plant, which will cut down a lot on the risk. And there's an article from military.com that's really, it's a solid article and talks a lot about, honestly, nuclear technology that most of us don't know that well. And it goes into a bit of the details about a cold shutdown and the cooling rods and all, all kinds of really interesting stuff. It's actually a good article to read if you want to learn a thing or two. But from our standpoint, I think it's just good enough to say that has reduced the risk. And there's still some risk if shelling were to hit the wrong things, but apparently the risk has been greatly reduced. And like I said, if you want to get more into the weeds on that, you can read that article. It's a great article, and I've got it linked in the source notes. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. At a minimum, subscribe to the podcast through whatever channel you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my Substack for $5 a month. Not only will that help encourage and sustain what we're doing here, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday. As a reminder, those Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber.
That way, it will encourage folks to support what we're doing here if they can, but also doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment, and most are just waiting one extra day for the content. Okay, so moving along from the discussion about the advances and the offensive, let's go you know, kind of out of the weeds to a higher level. And I wanted to share a tweet by one analyst that this is something that I often think about with this podcast is, is how important it is like foreign policy is obviously i throw a little bit of that in as a part of the intro in every edition but i wanted to just read this and um, the analyst says the ukraine will fail bad takes matter because they dominated the discourse and likely slowed down much needed defensive aid to ukraine because the allies were worried advanced weapons would end up in the hands of the russians so yes bad takes cost lives that that's from an analyst uh, named Andrea Chalupa, and it's uh, I, I think as as history gets written a little better, it's going to come out that obviously most Western analysts believe Russia would take the capital within about three days, that much of Ukraine would be overwhelmed, and I do think that on the one hand, while the West, including America, helped arm Ukraine for years before the invasion, the reality is is we didn't give them the most advanced weapons. And so uh, I think Andrea is absolutely right that the bad takes and the bad, bad intelligence that they didn't stand a chance, that ended up costing us. So um, I wanted to share that, and then I want to go into another great bit of uh, analysis about the situation. This comes from an unnamed uh, analyst on Twitter. And normally I would be a little hesitant about sharing something like this, but I've learned from back when I owned the uh, Oak Ridge Observer, a weekly newspaper for nine years, some of my best information came from sources that were like well-placed. But almost any time I'd get a source like this, and there weren't many, they would absolutely demand complete anonymity. And because that was because they were still running in some of these circles with these elected officials highly placed sources at the Department of Energy. Uh, The Oak Ridge Observer was in a city called Oak Ridge, Tennessee. There was uh, nuclear facilities there. And a lot of them, through the years, they still be involved in, I don't want to say in projects, but they're just well-placed sources. And you can tell by reading this that this is some type of Republican operative, either a man or a woman, who's still well-placed but doesn't want to lose their anonymity. So... I think ultimately what I'm about to share, you can just tell from the truth of the words that this person knows what they're talking about and that you just have to judge for yourself whether this person knows what they're talking about or if they're just blowing hot air. I think they know what they're talking about, but it's a stunning kind of a viral uh, thread that has been spreading on, on Twitter. It has to do with the arming of Ukrainians and what that's going to end up doing. I've got a link to this in the source notes, but with that out of the way, I'm just going to read it. To the Republicans complaining about the billions the U.S. is sending to Ukraine, I'm going to share with a private opinion from a knowledgeable European official I know. Basically, he starts off smiling and saying the U.S. are, quote, absolutely ruthless, end quote, with regard to the Ukraine war. I responded that America's footing most of the bill for this. He laughed hard. He said, Win, lose, or draw, the Americans win. His main points were, money being sent to Ukraine is mostly in the form of arms and weapons. 
They're sent via a, quote, lend-lease, end quote, meaning Ukraine will have to pay it back. It wasn't until after Ukraine showed that it would not be occupied by Russia that the U.S. committed big budgets and armaments. After the war, the EU will be on the hook for rebuilding Ukraine, integrating them into the Union and thus helping pay back the U.S. lend-lease arms. The U.S. is passing off older, strategically obsolete weapons, which would eventually be placed by systems such as the HIMARS, which is that multiple-launch rocket system that we've talked about in previous episodes. The U.S. didn't win with any of their most effective and technologically advanced systems, such as helicopters and planes. NATO is strengthened under U.S. leadership. America will achieve all of its strategic objectives on the cheap. Europe will need to invest in their military, which will mean big business for the U.S. Russian armaments have been exposed as inferior, so Russia will lose global market share to the U.S. military industry. Europe is essentially decoupling from the Russian energy source, creating a huge opportunity for U.S. uh, natural gas. Europe falls completely out of Russian influence. The Russian military is grounded down by Ukraine, with no American soldiers dying. Russia is finished as a threat to U.S. influence. The U.S. can now focus all of its military attention toward containing China. This is also a wake-up call for the EU to take China seriously as a military adversary. EU-China relations have been set back decades in terms of cooperation. The days of the U.S. having to twist the EU's arm to not let China build a 5G system there are over. China's slow-moving influence campaign into Europe is essentially done. China now needs to think much harder about invading Taiwan, both militarily and strategically, such as putting sanctions on the island. The conclusion was that whatever the actual cost to the U.S., it's peanuts compared to the accomplishment of these strategic objectives which will be reaping dividends for years to come. Ultimately, the EU will shoulder most of the suffering while the U.S. reaps the benefits. Some people are asking me for proof, and this person says it's an analysis, and it's not even his. It was it, All of this was said to him by someone else, and then he said you can fact-check all of these various things, but this is the rea- this is what... Someone in Europe said to this person, as I said, this is probably a highly placed person who is either in national security or somehow affiliated with the State Department, was probably in Europe at some conference, was probably chatting up a friend over a drink, and the friend's probably in the EU or some government over there, and the two just talked freely. And this is what would happen when I owned that weekly newspaper. I had one source that was there the entire nine years, and he... He would always go to, you know, anything from a rotary meeting to, like, there would be these uh, engineer meetings that people would go to. The consultants would have meetings. There would be, you know, there would be conferences for science and this and that. And he would constantly run into folks, hear just unbelievable stuff. And if it concerned him, he would share it. If it was good news but hadn't been talked about yet, he wanted to you know, give me an edge over another uh, media outlet that I competed with. So this is probably someone who's in that industry, either, like I said, the defense or someone that was in the State Department at one point. Probably He's probably a consultant or lobbyist or, I said he, it could be a she, who knows. But whoever it is, 
this is they're just sharing what they were told and that's pretty hard to dispute anything that was just said in that and it's brilliant which is why it's going viral uh there you go maybe all of this is uh maybe for those who are bemoaning the cost to the u.s on our arms shipments and all maybe maybe there's the true cost is is almost pennies on the dollar for what we get out of it especially if it begins to mute not only russian influence in the short term but also if it were to start to give china a little bit of hesitation or or possibly cause them to delay doing something to taiwan or maybe even deciding you know if we go down this path we're going to eventually isolate ourselves, and the only folks that we're going to have on our side are Russia, North Korea, and Iran, and this might not be the best long-term strategy. If these type of things happen, then those who have been complaining about the cost of the U.S. helping Ukraine, they're not thinking very deeply on this. So I wanted to share that. I thought that was absolutely worth sharing. It's still mind-blowing to just read it again, having read it for the second time, and it definitely gives me a lot to think about. Okay, we've covered a lot today, so let's get to the best part of the podcast, which is the motivation and wisdom section. As I say every week, I'm just going to work my way down this list. These are all great folks to follow on Twitter if you're on there, and you can find them all in the source notes. So with that out of the way, let's just begin. The first one, expectations can mentally destroy you. Man, that is such a good one. I know speaking just for myself as far as with book sales or my plans for the podcast. I have big goals, but I always set the mental expectations too high. And then when you do that, it is, uh, whew, it's tough, ain't it? So expectations can mentally destroy you. I think we all should probably lower the expectations, but keep dreaming big. How about that as a compromise? Because I still believe you got to dream big. Okay, next one. Stay patient and trust the journey. Well, that one followed up perfectly, and I did not mean for that to happen, as I usually just kind of pace these in as I find them for the few days prior between each uh, podcast. I save them and then just throw them in a file and then read them, so I'd love to say I planned that, but I didn't. Okay, next one. Hustle, rest, repeat. That's pretty good. Hustle, rest, repeat. All right, next one. If, you're all, if your failure is not a lesson, it's indeed a failure. Yeah, that's a good one. So if your failure is not a lesson, it's indeed a failure. So let's learn Let's learn from our mistakes, right? Next one. As long as you are alive, no obstacle is permanent. Never give up. That's a great one, too. As long as you are alive, no obstacle is permanent. Never give up. Next one. Some people dream of success while others wake up and work hard at it. That's another good one. Next one. Don't be in a hurry to achieve your dreams. Take a day to play with your kids and relax. Your dreams will still be there tomorrow. And that is a freaking great one. That's one of the reasons I said this a week or two ago about including wisdom with the motivation because I think sometimes you can rush to reach your goals and you can lose a lot in the process, including family. Next one. Hard times teach us valuable lessons. Another good one. Next one. If you want people to trust you, admit when you are wrong. That's very simple, but boy, there's some political figures that can learn that one, couldn't they? Next one. Trust the timing of your life. That's another good one. Next one. There is no success without challenges, struggles, and setbacks. 
So don't quit when things get hard. I like that one too. Next one. God is never late. We're just impatient. That is a great one. Next one. Every single thing that has happened in your life is preparing you for a moment that is yet to come. Man, they're good ones today. Okay. Next one. If you can dream it, you can do it. Another good one. Okay, final three, and then we're done. When you speak, always speak with strong confidence. Watch the difference it makes. That was a great one. Next one. A goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. That's really good. I know a lot of people, we all got friends who are in day jobs that you can just see it. It's just kind of like sucked the soul out of them. And they're just, they're living, but man, it's just they're just kind of barely surviving. I like that though. A goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. We all have things that we should be chasing, don't we? All right. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, The View from the Front is a reader-supported publication. The best way to make this work sustainable and to help improve it is with a paid subscription. But at the same time, free ones are appreciated too. I've got a link into the, in the source notes on how you can subscribe. You can do that from our website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com, and you can subscribe to the show. That'll make sure you don't miss any. As a reminder, please be kind. Try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work to unite this country. Also, try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media, how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you have a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, reach out to them. Finally, and this especially goes to all my awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Please, call that friend or family member. Do it for us all. We've already lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. And so I'm asking you to be brave once more. Show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, someone who can help. Uh, with that, I appreciate each and every one of you. Every tweet, every share, every email, etc. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. And I love each and every one of you all out there. So please join me again in our next episode. Stay safe until then. Thanks again, everyone. You guys are the best. As always, don't forget to check out my books. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. I think you'll enjoy them. Highly rated. They sell pretty well. And with that, I'm out.